Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. The concept of human dignity is a foundational one within human rights discourses and is commonly used in the context of human rights and sustainable development policies and programs. But the meaning of human dignity and its role have seldom been interrogated rigorously or systematically. Instead, there exists a widespread presumption of universality, despite growing evidence that the concept of human dignity can be understood in profoundly different ways in different sociocultural and political settings. Today's guest is here to talk to us about human dignity in Cambodia and about prospects for human rights education. To talk us through these fascinating issues, I'm joined by Dr. Rachel Colleen, Senior Lecturer at Sydney Law School. Rachel's research centres on responses to violence with a focus on transitional justice, victims' rights, sexual and gender-based violence, and harms perpetrated against the natural world. Rachel has a long-standing research interest in Cambodia, and her previous research projects have included collaborations with the Centre for the Study of Humanitarian Law in the Royal University of Law and Economics in Phnom Penh, as well as the Bopana Audiovisual Centre and the Documentation Centre of Cambodia. Prior to joining Sydney Law School, she was a senior lecturer at the Queen's University Belfast School of Law. She's a member of the Sydney Institute of Criminology, the Sydney Environment Institute, and of course, the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Rachel, welcome to SEAC Stories. Thank you so much for having me. So we're here to talk about this research project titled Locating Human Dignity in Cambodia. And this project is a collaboration between Queen's University Belfast, uh, the Centre for the Study of Humanitarian Law and the University of Sydney, funded by the British Academy uh, Humanities and Social Sciences Tackling Global Challenges Fund. The project asks how the concept of human dignity is understood and used. So even by asking this question, it seems to me that you're pushing back against the idea that this is a concept that is understood universally. Human dignity means different things to different people. So I want to come to what it means within the context of this project. But first, let me ask, what does human dignity mean to you? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask this. And I just think it is such a sneaky question to start with because it speaks straight to the heart of the challenges in this project. Um, But I I realized that I have never asked myself this because the very nature of the project is to see what it means for different people, what it means in different contexts. But I think what I've learned through the course of the project is that for me, it's definitely something that is about kind of the mutual recognition of humanity. I actually find the yoga concept of namaste quite helpful you know the kind of the highest spirit in me recognizes the highest spirit in you so i think for me it's that intrinsic understanding of human dignity that resonates the most strongly and i think that makes sense you know i'm a white woman from a western context so that's very much a narrative that we would associate with that concept something quite individualistic and about our our own inherent worth and our inherent rights and then the other Thing that I think I've been reflecting on as I've done this project is the value of understanding something by its negative because I think even though as we'll discuss there's so many meanings in all different kinds of contexts there are some 
base level things that most people will agree should not happen to a person. So I think understanding human dignity as, for example, you know, the, the, the most universal example is probably freedom from torture. I think I keep returning to that, you know, what are the fundamental things that we think should not be done to a human person? And that's how I've come to understand it. But at the same time, I, I still rest in my perception of it as a contested concept. I think that's just the closest I've come to understanding it for myself. Fair enough. So it is a contested concept and that's something that your research project really tries to address. Why do we assume that there is an agreed universal understanding about what human dignity means and requires? I think that has come really relatively recently in terms of, you know, if we think of human dignity as having several lives, you know, there's one thread of understanding human dignity that traces it through, you know, kind of Immanuel Kant and that kind of Western philosophy. You've got a Judeo-Christian way of looking at human dignity. And then more recently, we have the human rights conception of human dignity. I think it's it's entrenching in human rights discourse that's really led to this belief that it means something universal. So if we think about the rise of, you know, human rights language, we trace that to post-World War II. And again, this idea that there are some things that should just not be done to people and something fundamental that we need to protect. I think once it entered you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the ICCPR, once it started to appear in basically every major international human rights instrument since that time, with that came the idea that we do agree that there is a certain value to a human that we all understand and that probably more problematically, we all agree as to how it should be protected and how it should be enabled to flourish. And I think that's where the difficulty comes in when you start to assume that not only do we agree that people have human dignity, but we also agree as to how that should be furthered. So does the term human dignity actually appear in the Universal Declaration on Human Rights? So we find it in the preamble. So that's where we start to see it. And then over time, it becomes something uh, that's built into the more substantive parts of human rights documentation. It's not always framed as, you know, human dignity, that concept. It's sometimes framed as the inherent dignity of the person, language like that. Human dignity is just a kind of useful catch term to, to describe that. I'd like to turn to Cambodia specifically now, a place with many human rights and sustainable development programs, and many of which invoke this concept of human dignity in their programming and planning. What was it about Cambodia that made it such a suitable place to conduct this particular research project? Yeah, there was a couple of different reasons. You know, my interest in human dignity in Cambodia in part evolved from, as you mentioned at the start, my longstanding research there. You know, Cambodia is a place where severe atrocities and violations of human dignity are in living memory. So it's a place that has grappled with what it means for human dignity to be taken away it also is a place where on paper there's an extremely high um, buy-in to the international human rights framework. So Cambodia has ratified a large number of human rights instruments which refer to human dignity. The ICCPR that we just mentioned, but also Convention on the Rights of the Child, uh, CEDAW, Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, Convention Against Torture. It's, it's Compliance is quite high on paper. But it's not always mirrored in domestic practice and Cambodia is a place that continues to face challenges 
in securing the rule of law and the protection of political rights and civil liberty and also socioeconomic rights. So that's part of the picture. The other part of the picture is that human rights, that phrase and human rights concepts are increasingly seen as something politically sensitive or even a Western imposition across Asia. So we were interested in, does it have an indigenous grounding in Cambodia or is this concept something that has been imported through human rights frameworks? But also, and this came from my Cambodian colleagues, does engagement with human dignity offer a way to talk about human rights in a way that is less politically sensitive and is less framed as a Western imposition? Because if human dignity does resonate and does encourage you know, buy-in, then it might be a way of furthering human rights conversations in a way that feels a bit more grounded in, in local ideas and helps uh, students, you know, we were thinking about students in particular, to feel a sense of ownership over a fundamental human rights concept. So it offered, you know, it's an interesting research site, but the implications of engaging with the concept were also quite interesting. Yeah, that's really an interesting way of thinking about it in terms of how it can extend or limit the sense of local ownership of human rights by contributing to the view that they're nothing more than something that the West is imposing. So what did you find? Does human dignity resonate as a concept in the Cambodian country? It does, is the very short answer to that. But also, it means so many things. A completely overwhelming data set in the end. You know, we started by looking at law and policy. So what does human dignity look like on paper in Cambodia? And we found, you know, a couple of different meanings. We found framings that were quite aligned with human rights values in terms of like the dignity of citizens or the dignity of the individual. If I mention of two of the dignity of individuals, even in their constitution, which I think might be one of the few in Asia that mentions it so explicitly in that context and in their civil law and criminal law, you find it tied to ideas like the freedom from unlawful detention, the protection of labor rights, uh, freedom from exploitation and anti-trafficking law. If you look at a gendered lens, ideas of non-discrimination. So you find this kind of human rights language on paper, but we also found dignity as status. So, you know, before kind of underlying human dignity are deeper understandings of dignity that kind of predate and exist alongside human dignity. And that's much more to do with the protection of status and the protection of particular people uh, with status. So you also find that in their law and policy and that manifests as restriction on the freedom of expression for example you know they even there's criminal um criminal law around insulting the king and there's also restrictions on freedom of assembly um freedom of expression in public things like that so the law and policy already gave us quite a lot of different ideas of how dignity was playing out but then when we turned to our interviews so we tried to interview Obviously, to some extent, it is a limited data set in that we were mostly engaging with people who have had access to education, uh, mostly urban people, because we were interested in how people who come into contact with this concept are using it in their work. So educators, lawyers, translators, artists, uh, monks, you know, religious figures, people like that. When we got into the interviews, we don't even have time to get into all the ways it was discussed, but it was coming up in the context of arts and cultural life, human rights, development, education, but also uh, COVID-19 response, institutional management, research ethics, the dignity of the dead, like so many different ideas were being thrown around. And some of those did seem 
very grounded in a human rights kind of formulation. And that made sense considering the types of people we were talking to, but also seemed to resonate on a deeper level with Khmer understandings of what it meant to live a good life and Buddhist understandings of what it meant to live a good life. So they weren't necessarily always the same. The idea of what it means to be Khmer and what it means to be Buddhist are not exactly the same, although they overlap because of the dominance of Buddhism in the country. But certainly there was a feeling amongst many of our participants that human dignity was not just an international human rights concept, but was something that resonated with them as Cambodians and as Buddhists. So just by very brief example, one of our participants talked about this concept of the Salachar Teen or resting hall. And he was describing, you know, in the past, in kind of religious halls or, or town halls across Cambodia, you would put a big water jar in front of the house. And that was for anyone that was thirsty or needed to wash or was passing through. And, you know, this participant described it as something that's existed for thousands of years to protect humans from ever having to live like animals. And then they said, you know, it's not right to say that's a foreign concept, that's ours. So just in this very kind of small pragmatic example, you see that there's a real resonance with how our participants thought Cambodians had been raised to treat each other. You're talking about your research participants and you did mention that this project was focused on students. Who in particular were you doing your interviews with? Yeah, so it has two threads. So we had the thread that was just looking at what does this contested concept mean in Cambodia and does it resonate? And so to answer that question, we spoke to monks, so Buddhist religious figures, uh, artists, musicians, people who engage in human rights education, mostly in a university setting. We wanted to talk to translators to see if there was anything we could learn from the literal linguistic translation of the term. We wanted to talk to people that had engaged in Cambodia's transitional justice mechanisms, so people that had maybe worked at the Khmer Rouge Tribunal or done other things like that. Real range of people that might have come across this concept in their work. But then we also ran different but kind of connected series of activities specifically geared towards students. So we did focus groups with students, mostly law students uh, that were at Rule, uh, the place where the centre is based, and also with human rights educators in the provinces. And so that strand of the project was much more about how does this concept help students engage with human rights? What do they think it means? And so we, we use a couple of different methods for that. We also use the vignette methodology where we would just give students a scenario that to us, at least, it seemed like you could pick up on some themes of human dignity and we just got them to, to discuss it. And then we just saw what emerged from that. So we tried. The challenge of this project is you want people to share with you their own feelings about this concept, which means we had to try and limit as much as we could how much we fed into them. But also we wanted to give them prompts to, you know, to understand human dignity, you have to come at it from lots of different angles to kind of see what resonates and what doesn't so it's quite a mixed methodology in that regard and that we wanted to try different ways to see what it, it provoked in people um, and I have to say the vignette was a really interesting way of going about that just to see how different people respond to different scenarios so yeah that was that was how we went about it yeah when you say vignette are you talking to them about a particular scenario or hypothetical and asking them how they would respond to it yeah, yes. Yeah. So we used one that was both were things that had happened in Cambodia. So we tried to pick things 
that would resonate with them. So the first was a burglary that had gone wrong and the police had shot the burglars. And so that's one aspect of it. But then following that, there was a lot of social media commentary around this offence and a lot of shame was placed on the family of the burglars, not the police, but the burglars. And that led to the family not feeling comfortable going and collecting the bodies of their family members. And so this, you know, feeds into Buddhist ideas. You know, you have to have certain rituals around the dead in order for them to be reborn. So it was about the dignity of the dead, the dignity of the families, you know, those kinds of things. So they they had a lot of views about that. That was something that hadn't happened that long ago. And also, you know, what does it mean to be sharing pictures of the dead? So that was the other side of it, that photos of these of these people had surfaced online and were being shared. And then the second one, we were trying to get into gendered understandings of human dignity. So we had a couple of different ways of going about that. One was to reflect on a proposed law in Cambodia that was going to place greater restrictions on what people could wear in public, you know, um, no strappy tops and like short skirts, things like that. And then another one to do with a female police officer who had received criticism for breastfeeding her child and photos of her breastfeeding her child while in uniform. So we just ran these three scenarios, gave them time to read them and just said, like, what does this bring up for you? How does this make you think about human dignity? And then just led from there. So it was quite interesting to watch as they connected it to their human rights teaching, because they knew, obviously, that we wanted something like that because they're literally in their law class, in their human rights class. But equally, it helped them to reflect on, like, well, what does this mean for Cambodians and Cambodian society? And that was used as a jump off point to to talk about these issues. Just pick you up on your comment about women and gender. And it's a signal of the diverse meanings that human dignity can hold. In some situations, human dignity can be both a constraint and a protection. Can you tell us more, a little bit more about the laws and policies regarding the dignity of women? Yeah, so this is one of the most, I guess, con- not contentious as such, but one of the feistier themes I guess that people had strong views about both ways because Cambodia is in a place where human rights discourse around women is trenched and has been pretty successful you know you you wouldn't find a lot of controversy around the human rights of women but what you don't see is feminism blossoming as such Uh, so it's much more difficult to have conversations about the role of women in the home and the relationship between women's rights and cultural understandings of gender norms. So we really saw that being grappled with amongst our participants and also in law and policy. And that was where we saw the sharpest restrictive interpretations of dignity and the conflation of human dignity with other understandings of dignity. So women's rights could be understood as unpatriotic or a violation of local customs and traditions if they started to push into the idea of how women should behave. So human dignity in that context became not an emancipatory concept, but something used to reinforce those traditional gender norms. So how that manifests those participants would link women's dignity to expectations around their behavior and role in society you know, ideas around what it means to be a good mother, a good wife, a good housewife. And so what they saw was that, in theory, the human dignity of men and women should be the same. But in practice, that's not what's happening. That played out as well in sexual politics, that men could have many sexual relationships, but women could not. 
society would accept that in men, but women, they use a lot of idioms like the idea that there should be no um, pleat in your skirt, that, you know, which is just kind of, you should be demure, you need to act a certain way, sit a certain way, all of these kinds of understandings came through. But not in a way that was unquestioning or untroubled. Women shared, quite frankly, how they felt restricted in their lives and that, that human dignity was also something aspirational. But here you really saw dignity as appropriate behaviour playing out rather than a maybe a more human rights, again, an emancipatory idea of human dignity. Do you anticipate that some of these findings will translate through to new human rights education approaches within Cambodian classrooms? I mean, that's our hope. So we reflected on the vignette methodology and we reflected on what we had heard. And we felt that there's a couple of things that really suggest that human dignity is a useful concept for human rights education. So one of those is that it does resonate with Khmer values and Buddhist precepts and, you know, indigenous understandings of what it means to have a good life and to be treated well and appropriately. So that suggests that our initial hypothesis that maybe it would be something less politically sensitive and less Western imposed seems to bear out in the conversations that we had and in our studies with the students. And then the other thing is the very fact that it's so contested and so diverse in its meanings we think actually is a, is a helpful trait. So rather than kind of shying away from these different meanings, we can see it as having value as a way of, you know, encouraging critical reflection. Like, what does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to have human rights? Like, why would we have these ideas? And what does it mean in these different contexts? We think that that's actually something that's quite useful. And in Cambodia, where obviously they had a complete reset of their education system that they're still recovering from, those kind of critical thinking tools are really valuable to, to educators and human rights educators. So off the back of that, we have been trying to design a curriculum. So building on the vignette ideas, I mean, taking it from the Khmer Rouge Tribunal for Human Dignity does play a role in its jurisprudence is, is one way to do that. So how can we think about human dignity in the aftermath of the Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia as one entry point, but also other scenarios drawn from Cambodian uh, media or Cambodian law and policy, things like that, uh, to try and provoke these thoughts about what does what are human rights for and like, why do we have them? That's the hope. That's still in draft form. We've had some feedback sessions with educators that were really helpful really helped kind of keep us grounded in what resonates for for Cambodians. So, for example, we had used this European Court of Human Rights case. I don't know if you ever heard of this case to do with dwarf throwing. So this is from the 70s. I mean, it's like it's completely not not fine. It was a phenomenon where people with dwarfism would agree to be thrown across bars for, for money, for entertainment value. And this was going to be outlawed on the basis that it violated the human dignity of these individuals. But one individual said, well, no, you're taking away my livelihood. And that is a violation of human dignity, that you're prohibiting me from earning my living in the way that I choose to. In that case, they said, no, like some things are just a violation of human dignity, whether or not you choose them. So it provoked this conversation about like autonomy versus, you know, the intrinsic things that we, we just cannot allow. When we were receiving feedback from educators, I mean, maybe this is fair because this is 50 years ago and, and should never have been happening in the first place, probably. They were just like, I don't understand what 
this case is. We can't even imagine this kind of behavior. I don't know how to teach this in a classroom. So it reminded us of like pick things that actually resonate, like pick things that they can at least imagine happening in Cambodian society. And I guess that was another reminder of the cultural resonance or non-resonance of this concept. Uh, So that was really helpful for us. There's lots of people involved in this project, so we will share those details in the show notes for the program. And if you want to read more, please take a look at the article published in New Mandala by Rachel Colleen and Boravan Tan called Human Dignity in Cambodian Law, Policy and Civil Society Advocacy. I just want to finish up by taking a step back beyond, you know, the Cambodia context and thinking more broadly about the practical implications of these differing interpretations and understandings of human dignity. Do you think it is productive to have these multiple contradictory meanings at once? I do and I don't. I think the negative comes when we assume universalism without engaging with the fact that it has these multiple meanings because I think that has real implications for how we think about development. You know, you mentioned at the start, human dignity is part of the sustainable development goals discourse. So if we don't understand that it does in fact have multiple meanings, then I think that could be a hindrance to designing culturally and locally appropriate initiatives. But I think the positive is that it does encourage critical engagement with human rights and its plurality of meanings invites us to reflect on these profound questions about what it means to be a person. So it's like value is a, I guess, a bridging concept is not because it is a simple concept, but because of this depth of meaning. So by engaging with that messiness, I think we can actually think much more critically and at a deeper kind of philosophical level about why we might support human rights in the first place. And so from that point of view, I think it's an incredibly useful concept. Rachel, these vignettes are designed to be culturally relevant to the Cambodian context. Have you tried asking questions about these vignettes in other contexts to people from other cultures? Yes. So we wanted to see how it ran in a Northern Irish context, just to kind of try out and have a comparison point, although it didn't, in the end, it didn't really inform our design of the curriculum that we came to later. It did help us to reflect on the kind of cultural resonance of these vignettes. So we ran the study in Belfast. So we have a, an international human rights module there that was run by my colleague on the project, Professor Chris McCrudden. And we put the same vignettes to the students there. I think what was so interesting about that was how students will bring the issues that are forefront in their own minds to the vignette. So, you know, I described the first one was about a burglary that went wrong and resulted in the the shooting of the burglars. For the Queens-based students, this was immediately in their minds as an incident of police brutality, you know, so they're very much entrenched in like Black Lives Matter movement. In Northern Ireland, the police have gone through several reforms. So police, you know, behavior is, you know, something that we would have ongoing conversations about. So they immediately went there. You know, why do the police think that they can shoot these people? But in Cambodia, that wasn't really part of the conversation at all. It was much more to do with the lack of ritual around the dead, the family's responsibility to go and get their relatives. It was all about what happened after the murders, but not the murders themselves. 
which is not to say that Cambodians condone police violence by any means, but the, the thing that stood out to them was different to what stood out to the Queen's students. And I think that shows how what we're consuming in the media, what's at the forefront of our current you know, human rights conversations plays into how we see human dignity play out in a particular situation. Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your thoughts and your, your research insights about human dignity on the CX Stories podcast. It's been delightful to host you and we wish you all the best as the project wraps up. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. You've been listening to CX Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our CX Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.